Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right. Welcome back to Overtime on 106.7 The Fan. Ben Standig, Britt Giroli here. We work for The Athletic. I don't think by law we have to have somebody on from the Athletic and every time we've done a show, it just kind of feels like it's that way. But this one is a very special moment because Britt was insisting we talk about hockey, which is a reasonable thing to do in this town. We haven't done a ton of that yet. And if we're going to talk hockey in this town, by law, I say you need to talk to the one and only Tarek El-Bashir. The same rules apply, by the way, if you're talking about Taco Bell. Also, Tarek El-Bashir is the only person to talk to. Um, so, Tarek, I appreciate the time, first and foremost. Of course. H- how are things going? It's, you, you're, you're deep into the season. Things can get, uh, you know, it's a bit of a grind. How is it going for you covering a team that's uh, having a good year? Well, I mean, personally, Ben, thanks for asking. I'm, I'm holding up pretty well. Um, just kidding. Uh, th- th- things are starting to get a little dicey here in uh, with the with. The Capitals and the NHL in general, I, you know, the, the Caps, it seems like they are past their COVID issues. Um, they had four players test positive, you know, in, in recent days and some staff members as well, uh, including one coach. But, you know, just like the NFL, every time I go to Twitter now, I feel like there's another NHL player being added to, to the COVID protocols list. And so, you know, I, I, I would say it's kind of a nervous moment right now um, around the league. You know, the the Capitals are off to a great start. You know, they're tied for first place in the entire league. They've had some injury problems. They've had COVID issues, and they've been able to kind of power through all that. But I don't know, guys. I I, I feel like I'm a little concerned right now to to see what direction things head here in the next 24 to 48 hours. I think we're at a pretty critical moment. Uh, Tark, piggybacking off of that, when you look at some of the COVID-19 quarantine rules, this could raise concerns about the Olympics as a league, right? When it comes to the NHL. Absolutely. Uh, Britt, uh, you know, the, there's a two and a half week window built in, in in February, obviously for that reason, if the league were to go on a pause and from what I'm hearing, that's not on the table right now, but if things continue to escalate, I, I, you know, just like we saw back in 2020, you know, things change really quickly. The ground is moving beneath our feet right now. If, if they did want to go to a pause, it, it would, it would certainly have an impact on that. You can't have two breaks. You can't have a pause and then break again for the Olympics. But, but that's not the only issue, guys. Um, you know, the players. Part of going to the Olympics is the whole Olympic experience, right? It's it's mingling with the other athletes. It's being in the Olympic Village. It's, you know, um, you know, flying in right before the, your tournament begins, and then when you get bounced, leaving. Uh, you know, the, the COVID protocols are kind of throwing a wrench into all that. You know, basically the players are going to be locked down in their hotel rooms, so you're not going to have the full Olympic experience. And what's really concerning them is the fact that there could be 
COVID protocol is. So let's say you go over to, to China, you go to Beijing, and you test positive over there, you might have to quarantine for two or three weeks before you can return to your team in the U.S. or Canada. So there's all sorts of things the players are going to have to kind of take into account. Um, they have until January 10th, it's my understanding, before they have to um, really decide if they're in or they're out. If they're out, um, anything after that, there's a financial penalty. So they have until January 10th, and I imagine that there's going to be a lot of conversation between now and then. I know the players feel very strongly, guys. They want to go, but I think this whole Omicron, you know, um, COVID outbreak thing that's been going on the last 36, 48 hours has got people on edge. Uh, all right, Tark, let's spin this back towards the team that is playing here in town. Um, we just talked about Alex Ovechkin, and, and there's more reason to talk about him. But obviously, if the Capitals are going to achieve the goals that they want and get back to uh, contend for another Stanley Cup, they're going to need Nick Backstrom back. Yeah. Uh, sounds like we've got some good news on that front. What's your sense of his his status and what's this going to mean for this group uh, right now? Well, he's missed the entire season to this point, 28 games. Um, I, I think it's this this rehab on this lingering hip issue that dogged him late last year and into the playoffs, I don't think anyone thought it was going to take this long. I, I think the hope was like Thanksgiving time, and it, you know, it needed a whole other month pretty much, you know, two and a half weeks here. Um, but it looks like he's going to be good to go tomorrow night in Chicago. Um, and that's huge for this team. I mean, from a leadership standpoint, he's an alternate captain for a reason. You know, Nick, Nick Backstrom isn't a rah-rah guy, but when he speaks, everyone listens. Um, he's their best um, uh, two-weight forward. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, he's, he's the maestro on the, on the power play. He's what makes it go, and the power play right now stinks. I mean, it just, it's inconsistent. It's 25th in the league, which is almost borderline inex- inexcusable for a team that has as much talent on the power play as the Capitals do. And part of the reason is they're missing their most important player. So him coming back, I, I watched him the last two days in drills and power play, and just the power play in practice just looks significantly improved with him, uh, you know, making plays and and setting up teammates. So it's going to be a huge boost for the for the Capitals to get him back. Uh, you know, the question after that is, can they keep him healthy? Tark, can you explain to me how in the world Alex Ovechkin is continuing to do this at his age? It seems like. We should expect at some point him to, you know, take a step back or have a down year, but he just continues to get better. Uh, what have you seen from him? I know you, you talk to him a lot. Uh, how is this able to happen? Yeah, you know, that's a great question. Um, I, I know he's kind of become one of the bigger storylines in the league um, this year. And, you know, I the thing that amazes me, Britt, is the fact that he's not only 36 years old and, you know, father time should have caught up with him a couple of years ago. It's the fact that he played so hard early on in his career. I mean, he was a physical force. He still can blow a guy up. If you're, he, if you're, if your head's down, he'll catch you um, and, and, and send you to the ice. But, you know, he's, he's evolved. And, and that's part of the reason he's been able to stay on top of his game. You know, when in his early years, you know, he dominated physically um, he was on the highlight reels every single night, you know, with, with those amazing goals where, you know, he was spinning around defenders and skating through an entire team and then, you know, beating the goaltender while maybe running over the goaltender at the same time. He's not that player anymore, but he's still producing just as much. 
um, for a few reasons. Um, this past summer, you know, he really took care of his body. Um, you know, he, he trained in a different way. To my eyes, it looks like he's a little lighter on his feet, a little lighter on his skates. You know, that matters as you get older. But he scores goals in different ways. He's not just overpowering um, goaltenders and, and defenders. You know, he's going to the net. He's scoring tip-ins. He's scoring more of his goals around the blue paint as opposed to, you know, those highlight real goals from all over the place. Uh, you know, he only has a couple of goals on that trademark one-timer from the OB office. I'm using air quotes here, the OB office. He's only got a couple goals from there uh, this year. The other goals have all come from other places. You know, he's got 44 points in 28 games. He's top three in the league in, in every category offensively. Um, I have a story that's going to be posted on The Athletic tomorrow morning about his assists, which is something that's really piqued my interest because, you know, we all know about his goal-scoring exploits. I've, called, I've covered his entire career. You know, early on in his career, he was an incredible setup man. You know, he had, you know, he basically averaged 50 assists his first six seasons in the league. And then, you know, it dropped off, and it dropped off pretty hard, and he just became kind of known as a goal scorer. He still was a great goal scorer, but he wasn't passing the puck nearly as much. Well, fast forward to this season, his age 36 season, he's number two in the league going into tonight's games in assists. Um, it's not like his line mates got better. He's just passing the puck more. He's passing it more accurately. He's using the threat of shooting the puck to freeze goaltenders. Uh, you know, it, the, the cool thing about covering this guy for the past several years has been to watch his evolution, watch him change the way he plays in order to still remain productive. I mean, I don't want to call him a hockey genius, but that may not be too far off. You mentioned the word evolution, Tark, and I wanted to ask you about this. I'm sort of broaden out the, t- the conversation about Alex Ovechkin. Tonight, just a few minutes ago, Steph Curry became the all-time three-point uh, shooter right. yeah. in, in NBA history. And because of his time at Golden State, it's re- had everybody rethink what they think of Golden State as a basketball uh, franchise. Same thing Tom Brady did with New England. That was a wasteland in the NFL. Then Tom Brady shows up there, and now they're viewed as you know one of the all-time places. Uh, Ovechkin here, from the perspective of the fan, has do you think that whenever he's done next year, ten years from now, whenever it is, that because of the legacy he has had here, the all this time he spent here, and and the amount of fans he has here, that he has reshaped what it means to be a hockey fan in this town. That after he leaves, this will continue because people will view Washington or Washington fans themselves will view, hey, we really do care about hockey and maybe ways we didn't before he got here. Yes, I, I I definitely agree with that statement. I mean, here's a guy who will never have to buy a drink or a dinner in this town the rest of his life uh, if he chooses to to live here in the off season. And a lot of Capitals choose to live here after their after their careers are over. So I wouldn't be surprised if he sets up camp here. Um, but yeah, I, you know, and we call it the Ovi effect. Um, you know, starting from the time he arrived, the way the game is perceived within the city has changed. Uh, you know, it was, it was a fringe sport, it, it, you know, a, a niche sport, if you will, uh, in the, 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 some odd years that the, the franchise in exist, was in existence before he arrived, uh, or 30 some odd years, I, I should say. And since he got here, you know, it began, it began slowly. Remember those first couple of years, he was awesome. The team was not, <laughs> they only had 70 points in, in the standings back-to-back years, his first year and his second year in the league. It took some time. But once Bruce Boudreaux came on the scene in 2008 and really kind of 
you know, took the shackles off and just let everyone, you know, uh, start scoring. And, and they kind of became the young guns with Ovechkin and Mike Green and Alexander Simmon. And they started scoring goals. And then the whole, the whole uniform change happened. I think that was a big part of it. They went to the red, white, and blue again. And then they went to the rock, the red. And uh, I, I do think that he has changed this franchise and just kind of the way this city is, the city embraces the Capitals. I mean, when we talk about the Ovi effect, it's also what it's done for the community. I mean, I grew up in this area. I grew up playing hockey in this area. It, it, it was, again, it was niche. There weren't many teams. There weren't many elite players, if at all, coming out of here. Since he arrived, the number of prospects and Division One college players and, you know, NCAA players and junior players that are coming from this area has grown exponentially. Just the number of youth uh, the, 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 the amount of players who are playing at the youth level has exploded exponentially, and that's because of him. You know, I, I think the, the first wave of the Ovi effect are the kids that were born in 2004, 2005, when he first arrived in D.C. You're starting to see that kind of age group starting to kind of make some noise um, um, on the hockey landscape. That, and then the next group is going to be the kids who were born in 2018, which, of course, was the year that they won their uh, first and only Stanley Cup. Go back and, you know, go back 17, 18 years from now and look at the kids who were born in 2018 in this area, the hockey players, and look how far they get. It's, it's going to be – you're going to see some really good players come out of this area because people saw this guy win a championship. It was the first championship that was won in this town in a long time. And I think a lot of people who maybe – you know, weren't hockey fans, became hockey fans, and now got their kids into the sport. And, you know, you're going to see that um, – you're going to see the, the, the fruits of that, you know, I would say 18 years after 2018, so um, 2036. <laughs> the Ovi effect, I love that. Tark, thanks so much for coming on. I had to twist Ben's arm to talk hockey, and as soon as he – I'm glad you did, Britt. As soon as he, as soon as he agreed to, he's like, well, we got to get Tarek on. Absolute no-brainer. If you don't already, follow him on Twitter. Check out his stuff on The Athletic. Does a great job covering the Capitals. Thanks so much for your time. Thanks, guys. All right, so uh, we have more to discuss here on 106.7 Fan. Again, the football team, there's a lot happening. COVID issues. They got a game on on Sunday against the Eagles. It's kind of important. We'll get to all that here on 106.7 The Fan. All right, welcome back. 106.7 The Fan, Ben Standick, Bridgeroli here. We write for The Athletic. I cover the Washington football team, and that's what we're going to discuss right now because the Washington football team has kind of a a big game coming up Sunday at Philadelphia. I guess it feels like we've reached a point where like every week it's kind of the biggest game of the year, especially now where the playoffs are at stake. But this one's pretty significant. Two teams at 6-7. and seven. Washington wins. They further solidify their hold on one of the wild card spots. They lose. They pro- they're going to fall out of that space. Philly's going to jump them with only three games to go. And these two teams will play again in a couple weeks after that. So it's a pretty significant game. And we need to discuss the- with injuries and the-, the COVID outbreak, what this roster is even going to look like. Britt, are you ready to dive in to the Washington football team madness? I'm ready to dive in, but there was one thing that I should have mentioned at the top of the show Uh-oh. that I totally forgot about. Uh-oh. Um, We do a lot of radio shows together, and you always kind of play the pessimist with this team. 
So imagine my surprise when I read The Athletic on Saturday and find that a whole bunch of people made guesses as to who's going to win the Dallas-Washington game. Uh And pretty much everyone picked Dallas because, let's face it, if you're betting, you're picking Dallas. But somebody picked Washington. (laughs) And that somebody is the fellow who's sitting across from me who does nothing but poo-poo anyone who gets positive about this team. So I just want to put him on the hot seat now. He's sweating a little bit, and I would like for him to explain himself to myself and everybody who's listening. In fairness, I couldn't be sweating. This room we're in is fairly cold. However... Yeah, so I've been like in, when they, during the four game winning streak, I picked against them three times, and I had people say to me, "Boy, you just don't pick a get picked that pick them to win." And um, now, in fairness, I have to turn those picks in midweek, and after that was when all the COVID outbreak happened. I might have had a different thought, but I, I stand by what I what, what I did, what I said. Uh, you know, uh, what do you want from me? I, I it, it wasn't it was not a great it was not the world's greatest. Uh, prediction if you're going to be Susie sunshine uh to the athletic then i think you should also be on the radio i want to know, i want to know the real ben standing who is he is he the curmudgeon on the radio saying this team needs to do this this and this i'll believe it when i see it or is he the guy who's like oh i think this team's gonna win because this is in print and my name is here yeah i'm pretty debbie downerish i mean i think that's i think that's pretty standard you can just right. ask anybody i've ever like hung out with or anything well speaking of debbie downer what how many of these 10 guys on the COVID list are going to be eligible if you had to guess um, for this game, well, my, my my guess would be probably about six or seven could play. Uh, other ones are probably going to be out a bit longer, one way or the other. Now, whether the the key is you've got to have two positive tests or sorry, two negative tests over you know, overlapping a twenty four hour period to then get cleared. So when you had guys like James Smith Williams and Casey Tuhill last week, uh, they're going to have the opportunity. They'll have more opportunity to to, to hopefully. Uh, clear today while we while Washington put Kendall Fuller and Tim Settle on the COVID list they took Daryl Roberts off Daryl Roberts went on I believe Saturday the same day as Smith Williams so that's an example of you know you, you do the two uh, negative tests and get back on they desperately are going to need some of these guys to come back especially on the defensive line because they're incredibly thin there what about Taylor Heineke? Does he play? I'm going to keep Ben on the hot seat for a good chunk. Sure. Of um, does he play? Because we saw him come out of the game. Uh, status is kind of up in the air. I know it's usually Wednesday, right? That you get kind of more of the sense with the team, the zooms and the availability. Uh, but I'm going to ask you anyway, Ben, what happens with him? I think we're good there. I mean, everybody seems to be saying that he's a little bit sore coming out of the game, but he, he took a shot to the knee. That's what he ultimately left with. But he also took a shot to the elbow earlier in the game. And he said that was a little scary, uh, at, at that point. So, I, I think he's probably good there. Uh, look, not only is Taylor Heineke a scrappy guy who's had to fight his way just to even get here, he's not going to walk away from that field. He knows the second he's he's off that field, who knows what happens. Kyle Allen is a reasonable player. I think they're probably both mo- closer to the same level than they're not. And, uh, you know, multiple times Ron Rivera went with Kyle Allen over Taylor Heineke earlier in their careers. So I'm sure he's going to do whatever he can to play. But the sense is he's going to play. shouldn't be an issue on that front from an injury perspective. Um, I I think he'll be good to go. Um, He's going to have to play a lot better, though. This was the most concerning performance of his career. And I think we've talked a bunch, as as is anybody in this town, about what is he as a quarterback? You know, is he the future? What's he going to be? The the issue that was, was, was shown in this last game is where the floor is. The floor was pretty dramatically bad, and the ceiling isn't consistently high enough to say, well, it's worth maybe some inconsistency because when the upside is all the way up here, it's not. And that's what this was a reminder, I think, on some level is when things aren't going right, can he be as a quarterback uh, 
paper over some of the other problems. I'm not saying it's all his fault. His offensive line was wasn't helping him a ton. There were injuries. Terry McLaurin left the game. But he was, you know, when you start go two for twelve in the first half, that's a problem. Yeah, and you're right. Allen was really good. I thought when they put him in, um, very easily could have led them on that game winning drive. Honestly, so I I saw this and I can't remember where I saw this, but somebody said I wish Taylor Heineke's arm matched his heart. <laughs> sure. And I just thought that was the perfect way to kind of sum up what he is. Right, like you want to root for him. Kim Jones, we had on earlier the NFL Network talked about what a great guy he is, and um, we've heard that a lot. And you just wish. He was better. I see that all the time in baseball. They'd be like these fringy relievers. You're like, God, why can't you be better? Why can't you matter? <laughs> right. Um, you know, and that kind of is what it feels like for Heineke. All right, back to the roster stuff, keeping Ben on the hot seat here before he gets a little too comfortable. When you look at this roster, the injuries, the COVID, all of the conflict that this team has had to deal with, uh, where are you most concerned right now? I mean, it's definitely the defensive line. Not only are you without, I mean, if Jonathan Allen doesn't play, you would be out Chase Young, Montez Sweat, most likely Montez Sweat, based on the 10-day period, would be would be eligible to come off on Saturday if he passes the test. But even then, he hasn't played in since Halloween because he's been out with a jaw injury. So to me, that would seem unlikely. So to have three or four starters out, then on top of it, we're, again, James Smith Williams, Casey Tuhill, Tim Settle, all currently on the COVID list now as well. That is a ridiculous proposition right now where they're looking at a bunch of guys like you're looking, you said before, like a training camp or, or a preseason game uh, lineup that they could be going with outside of Deron Payne and Matt Ioannidis. That's a huge problem. Philadelphia leads the league in rushing, uh, even if they were last. That would be a problem in an NFL game. At some point, you have to have players who are NFL players uh, You know, at, at that level. That would be missing a ton. So the defensive line, a strength of this team, in theory, would be a huge weakness if they don't have these guys out there. Right. In theory. I mean, they, they continue to surprise me, but at some point, you know, it, it becomes a problem. At some point, the depth of the depth is not good enough. Yeah, I agree with you. Listen, I love this format. It, this is really helping my very rusty interview skills. If you haven't heard, <laughs> the sport that I cover, baseball, is in a lockout. So this is really keeping me sharp for spring training so that I can be in the best shape of my life, as all the players like to say. I'm going to keep Ben on the hot seat. I've got three rapid fires. This is prepping me for my meet the press appearance on Sunday. So go ahead. There we go. I just want yes or no's, though. I don't want you talking around where a yes becomes a no when you talk in circles and all of a sudden we're on the maybe line. I want a I want a yes or no answer to these unless the unless the question dictates like a number. Okay. In which case, you, you give it to us. But no explanation. Uh, the Washington football team going to win this week. No. Are they going to cover? I don't know. It's about four, four and a half, I think, the last time I checked. Based on the current COVID list, no. No, Just a yes or no, Ben. (laughs) Ben says no. They're not going to win and they're not going to cover. Correct. Uh, Is Taylor Heineke going to have a better game? Can't be worse. So, yes. Oh, okay, I was going to say, is he really not going to give me a yes or no here again? I would just say yes. I mean, it was yeah. He's going to be better than he was last game. I'll I'll, I'll think that much. All right, and here's my last one. Uh, as we sit here today, uh, does the Washington football team make the playoffs? Ugh, this is you can't have dead air on the radio. I, I'm going to say no Ooh. because it just feels like I mean it's Philly this game. Then the next week is Dallas again, right? So. That's why it makes this game so important. If you lose this game, they're going up against a better team. You know, in theory, rival games, you can always win. But where are they going to be at that point with regards to the COVID stuff? So I'm going to say no. You can't lose these two in a row on top of losing last week. But 
the COVID thing is a very big variable and I need to know more. So we can confirm Ben Standing super negative on the radio. Look for his predictions in the athletic this weekend. Where I say they win by will, 20. He will definitely pick them to win. <laughs> so I don't know which end is up, but I do know that we're going to go to commercial break. We're here till nine. I'm uh, going to hit a little bit more of the Dan Snyder story. Maybe we'll talk a little caps wizards. Who knows? Going to get a little crazy. Richard Rowley, Ben Standing here on Overtime, 106.7 The Fan. All right, welcome back to 106.7 The Fan. Ben Standing, Richard Rowley here with The Athletic, taking you till the top of the hour. Uh, I wanted to, Britt, specifically get into, we've talked a bunch about the football team, uh, from the COVID situation to the latest with Dan Snyder. We got into some Taylor Heineke stuff. But I want to talk specifically about Curtis Samuel. It is an unbelievably fascinating situation that has unfolded over the course of this year. And another turn happened this uh, this past week. Um, are you ready to get into discussing a wide receiver who simply has not played nearly enough to be discussing as much as we're about to? Of course. All right. So so uh, just everybody kind of knows the deal. Washington signs into a three-year, $34 million deal this offseason. He has basically misses all the summer because of his groin injury. He barely plays. He doesn't play the first three weeks, comes back week four, plays 20 snaps, has a setback, only plays five the next week, gets he's out again for several more weeks, comes back uh, two weeks ago, plays 20 snaps, then another 20. And this past week, he plays 14. He goes backwards. I asked Ron Rivera about this this week because it doesn't make any sense to me what is happening here. So I, well, you're about to hear the conversation Ron Rivera and I had at the, at the, his press conference on Monday and why this is perplexing to me. Curtis Samuel uh, only plays 14 snaps yesterday after just going 20 in the previous, each of the previous two. Um, seemed like he was progressing. Was this uh, some sort of injury step back or did you guys just decide to be even more cautious with him? No, I, I I think it came down to play calling more and personnel call more than anything else. You know, um, he's a guy that we got to get the ball in his hands and 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 get him rolling, and and so we'll you know we'll work on that. All right, Britt, help me out here. You're you're smart. You went to Michigan State, the Harvard of the North or the of the <laughs> yeah, mid Harvard of the Midwest, as it's, as it's commonly known. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Look. Curtis Samuel's been dealing with a groin injury. He had a secret surgery that they didn't tell us about for months because they were, I, I don't know, they, they, they didn't want it out there or whatever the reason is. He's clearly not 100%. And at this point, it's water under the bridge. Fine. He's not all the way back. They're working towards it. Granted, their training staff is shorthanded, so you have to wonder on some level um, how that's going on. The shorthanded because of a DEA investigation, mind you. But, okay, all that aside... He plays 20 snaps in each of the previous two games. There, He's been questionable on the injury list, but okay, well, that's whatever. He moves forward. Only he plays fewer snaps in a game in which Terry McLaurin leaves the game and they're losing 24 nothing at halftime. It would seem to me that if the guy is available and he's one of your big play players, this is why you brought him in, that you're going to play him more. So the only logical reason that you didn't in a game in which you're losing and your big-time receiver is out, is he must have had some sort of setback or you're being cautious. For him to then say, no, no, it was a game plan thing. If I wanted to just take the coach at his word, I could have written a story with the headline, Washington sits star receiver, it it signed a big contract to because they didn't have him in the game plan. That's what he just said. Makes absolutely no sense and it drives me crazy. I, it is. It, I'm incredulous over the the logic here because obviously he can't be 100. percent There's no other reason that he couldn't have been playing. Well, I have a couple of thoughts. One, the game did the game plan involve all of those players getting hurt and leaving the game? 
Did the game plan involve getting punched in the mouth for three quarters of that game? Um, it wasn't even a good lie to you, Ben. I feel like he could have spent a little more time and effort on that kind of a lie because where they're at on their depth chart, it doesn't matter if you're part of the game plan or not. Like, are you, do you have functioning arms and legs and are you COVID free? Cool. You're now part of Washington's game plan. It just seems like that's where they're at right now. So, but why lie about an injury situation when you all already know he's coming back from things, right? This isn't like baseball where you're trying to like scout, oh, that guy was available out of the bullpen so that the other manager maybe knows. Like this isn't that in the NFL. So why even play this schematics game? Why even lie to you? Why not just say he's not ready yet? We don't feel comfortable giving him that kind of workload. Right. I mean, first of all, the game is over. So whatever you thought in the Dallas game, we understand in the next game, they'll have it be a different plan. That's obviously a common thing. So, that doesn't matter. If, you, if you're if you afraid to say he's hurt, fine. Then just say, we're still working him back. And obviously at the point where the game got where it got, we decided we need more. We needed receivers' ability to go further, go down the field. Right now we're kind of, you know, he, he, he and this is a true thing anyway. Curtis Samuel is more of a, a bit more of an underneath guy. You get him the ball in space, even out of the backfield, and let him do his thing. Whereas maybe when you're trailing by 24, you got to go up the field more. You want some different types of receivers. So many different things to say. It just it, it drives me crazy when coaches do this. I get it. They don't want to put everything out on front street and tell the world, here's exactly what's going on on all fronts. But it just makes it more confusing. And like I said, I would have been in my right, or anybody would have, to written a story that effectively said Curtis Samuel not part of game plan after signing a massive contract. Um, this summer, and the coach is not saying it's an injury issue. Uh, clearly, there's something not right. We've already moved on that. We've, it, we we get it. He's not he's not all the way back yet. We've established that. Just we accept that now. Move forward. Yeah, uh, you touched on something earlier. So they're down athletic trainers. They weren't able to like hire people or promote people. So they're actually down. Like if I was to go through rosters of other teams, they have more trainers than Washington. So I don't know necessarily team to team, but I believe the the nut what. I'm not 100 sure. Whatever number they had of people from the from the head athletic trainer down, Ryan Vermillion is the head athletic trainer. Kind of a big deal. Ron Rivera. He was maybe Ron Rivera's first hire coming over from Carolina. That he brought him over with him, and yeah, he's been out. He 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 he's been out since going into the Week Four game in Atlanta as part of a DEA investigation. The DEA raided uh, the facility. It's been pretty quiet since, so it's hard to know exactly where this is going. And Ron Rivera did say on Monday that he's quote hopeful that Vermillion could be back. I don't know what that means. But nonetheless, the Vermillion and another trainer, Doug Kwan, both put on leave because of this. Okay, fine. In the moment, you don't know what to do. They brought in Rivera told us way back when they brought in some coaching, some former uh, interns, trainer interns to help. And they brought in their the 80 something year old Bubba Tire, who was the trainer under Joe Gibbs in the 1.0 era to help out. Okay, great. But that's been forever ago. And I asked him subsequently. Uh, you know, basically, hey, uh, the fact that you're shorthanded, is that leading to any concerns at this point? He said, no, we're not shorthanded. We have a full staff. It's not it, – it, you at one point determined your staff needed to be X amount of people, and then you took two away, including two guys at the top. How can you then say you're fully staffed? You can just say we have the people we have, but you're not fully, you're not fully staffed based on your own standards you set when you had uh, when you had these people. Um, whether that's a factor in the Curtis Samuel thing, I have no idea. But it can't be great. You have all these problems, and you have your you have fewer people than you had when the year started. Has anybody thought about how insane all this stuff is? We look we look at individual lenses. Like think about this for a second. Their uh, head athletic trainer is on leave while he's being investigated by the DEA. 
their owner is dealing with Congress because he tried to impede an NFL investigation. Um, the product on the field has been bad for 20 years or so. Um, has anybody actually, th- have you actually thought like, this is nuts. This should be a movie. This whole organization, it's just beyond belief when you think about it. Right. Oh, you're not even like we could go on chapter and verse. We could just keep talking about the things that have happened here recently and under Dan Snyder and and run out the clock here at the top of the hour. It it is it is it is nuts. And again, this goes back to the broader topic of Dan Snyder, that in any organization, Washington football team, uh, a newspaper, a radio station, whatever. If the tone is set by whoever is at the top, whether they have anything to do with the day-to-day operations or not, they tell you what is allowable and what is not by their actions and by their words. And when you have dysfunction at the top, it's going to permeate down. Now, I'm not saying Ron Rivera is dysfunctional. I think Ron Rivera has actually done a pretty good job, and they he, he gives them a lot more credibility. I think part of what we're seeing is that despite all these issues, they're having injuries and otherwise – they have remained competitive and focused, I think, a large part of what he's doing. But at the same time, there's just always so much happening here that it is, it's impossible to just ignore it. And it's impossible to, for even for the players to just be like, I just want to play football when people like us are saying, well, okay, but what about, what about this thing? What about that thing? It's, oh, there's always something. It's like, what's that saying? Like fruit of a poisonous tree or rotten fruit? What's that saying? You know, uh, something I don't like need fruit. That. I don't know. But that, that's what it reminds me of though. Like, Snyder is the, the rotting tree, and everything off of that tree is just rotten, right? It's poisonous fruit. You're never going to get rid of that because he is the owner of the team. And we talked about this earlier in the show, and I just think it's going to take the other owners finally getting fed up with this and being like, you know what? He's embarrassing us, and we can't have it anymore. That's literally the only thing that's going to impede him from continuing to own this team. And that's what makes this Ryan Vermillion thing so interesting is he was a Ron Rivera hire. All the other things that by and large are under the Dan Snyder uh, umbrella. This is a Ron Rivera thing. And it, again, I don't know what's, we don't know what's going on. It's been pretty uh, quiet to this point. Ron Rivera said he's hopeful he's come back. Okay. We'll see. But either way, if this does escalate to somewhere, this, then this is, I guess, to potentially a mark on, on, on the coach who brought him in. And Curtis Samuel was a guy. He also had a Carolina, different type of deal. We're just talking about an injury. But at the same point, it's all very confusing, and I wish it would stop. I'm, I'm not – I'm easily confused. I don't need – just 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 give us some, some sort of a straight answer on what should be a fairly easy topic, why a guy didn't play as much, don't do the tra- does the training – does the lack of trainers have anything to do with it? It's not that complicated. But no. sometimes you make it more complicated than it needs to be. It really does. Well, Ben, we're going to go to break. We've got one more segment left hanging out with Ben and all you fine people listening. It's been a blast per usual. Um, great time. We'll, we'll hit some more closing thoughts, but uh, stick with us. Um, Overtime 106.7 The Fan. All right. Back with you. Last segment here. On overtime, Richard Rowley here with Ben standing. Ben, what are we talking about here to close the show? But I've been putting him on the hot seat all night. Let's just keep it up. The best part about that is, is I literally, as we were coming back, I said, what are we talking about? And, like, eh. and then I just throw it no. back at me. I mean, look, we have talked a lot about the Washington football team. And, uh, you know, you were trying to give me grief about the idea of, you know, am I picking them to win or am I not picking them to win? Or, you know, what am I going to tell the audience one thing and then pick something else on the radio or on, on the website? Anything's possible on that front. Uh, All aside, all the distractions aside, 
it's not that they have to win this game because they do have the Eagles coming up again in two weeks after this and then Dallas next week. But uh, th- things, things can start to slip the wrong way, and they really do need to kind of figure out how to win this game, which may be impossible if the COVID situation doesn't resolve itself and then it'll get some of these guys back. It is incredibly bad luck. I mean, it wouldn't have been necessarily any better if this had happened earlier in the year, but when they had a four-game losing streak, if the same thing was happening, we know the result. They would have lost those games anyway. So it would, have, it would have been a better time. Now you had this momentum. They get all the way back to 500. Where they, If they had beaten Dallas, they would have been one game out of the NFC East. That's how far they got. And now the timing is what it is. Uh, and, and, and unfortunately for them, it's looking like a tough a tough road ahead. But, you know, we'll see. The offense is fully intact at this point, other than the the, the regular injuries. We'll see if Terry McLaurin and J.D. McKissick can able to play from their concussions. The defense... That, that 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 looks like a rougher situation for sure. Which is unfortunate because they rely on the defense. Like if this was a team that had a star quarterback and just, you know, had this explosive offense, then you could find ways. I think what's more troubling is the way they win these games, right? We talked about this before. They win them in an unsustainable manner, but they win them in the best way to win them right now. They win them by controlling the clock, by running the ball, and by occasionally using Taylor Heineke and by having a good defense. The defense even though it's lost two of its best players, Montez Sweat and Chase Young, has been good. So that, to me, is bothersome. What gives me a little hope, though, Ben, is they've won games they have had no business of winning already this season. They had no business beating Tampa Bay, right? None. And they still won that game. They really had no business winning that game in Vegas. Um, it wasn't it wasn't their best showing, but they, they, they figured out a way to win. You mentioned the running game. Like, the biggest difference from this past week – than the previous four was the inability to run the ball. It's not even just that Antonio Gibson doesn't always run for a high percent, a high yards per carry average, but they do it consistently. He only had 10 carries in this game because they were down 18 nothing in the first quarter, and they kind of had to get away from the running game. He also fumbled again in this game. They cannot have that happen. He's got to have to maintain possession. They need him to be on the field, especially, look, if you take Terry McLaurin off or he's limited – Antonio Gibson's easily their biggest playmaker. He's going to have to be able to control the ball, but they're going to have to run the ball. If they can, in the beginning of the game, run the ball, control the clock, help Taylor Heineke with, you know, take pressure off him, and most of all, keep the defense fresh so they can use the, the remaining pieces they have as much as they can as possible, that's their hope. But we'll have to see about that. The good thing is I don't think Jalen Hurts is much of a factor as a passer, and they're now more limited in the secondary as well. So they just have to figure out, control that run game, the the basic part of the run game, and then hope from there that they don't have the turnovers and can do some things on offense. So you're saying there's a chance. (laughs) Pull out the the dumb and dumber gif right now. Yes, there's always a chance. All right. Well, can't wait. We will be here next week. We'll be here next Wednesday, right? Next Wednesday morning on 980. But I think we're, we have like daylight hours. Like the sun yes. will actually be out when we're doing this. They're going to let us out during the day, guys. It's a kind of a big deal. Stick with us. This has been a blast. Uh, Bertiroli, Ben Standing, 106.7 The Fan. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact. So jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.